Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Put your hands together for Pastor Randy Bazette. All right, thank you guys so much. Please, you can, you can be seated. And so, uh, wow, happy birthday, right? I mean, you guys, seven years old. Can you just take a moment before we go any further and let's just celebrate what God has done just in seven years through Velocity Church. Come on, won't you give God some big praise this morning? So uh, there, there's so many things that I, I, I want to tell you before I, I preach. And so I just, because I, I feel so honored to, to be here. First of all, uh, my wife is, is here with me today. She actually, uh, she's going to be coming to the other services. But uh, you, you ought to, when you see her, she'll, she'll be here at the end of this service. You need to take a look at her and, uh, and it'll shock you and you'll wonder how in the world I did that. Uh, and. <laughs> has a lot to do with her corrective eye surgery that happened after the wedding ceremony. But no, I'm so honored. We just celebrated 25 years of marriage. And so, yeah, I am, I am so blessed. I promise you, I wouldn't be who I am without her. She's an incredible woman and I'm so blessed to serve God alongside her. We have four kids. We have uh, three boys and then the littlest one is a girl. Oh, yeah. And uh, so they range from 22 all the way down to uh, 13 or 14 she is now. And so, uh, so yeah, we have three boys and then the little baby, right, is the girl. And so our oldest one just got married, which, which means I have one off the payroll. So I got a pay raise just about two months ago. <laughs> so praise God for that. Uh, I pastor a church in Florida. I am originally from Louisiana, Cajuns. I know there are not very many here in the Midwest here. Uh, but to let you know who my family is, you see them. There are, I think, seven reality TV shows uh, for people from Louisiana, and, and that stuff is not made up, I promise you. That is, that is real. And so what I say about Louisiana is it's a good place to be from, you know. And so we left there, uh, my wife and I, and then we had, we had uh, three kids, and uh, we moved, and we started Bayside Community Church 16 years ago. And it has been an incredible experience. Uh, we, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And uh, I just have made a decision to give my life to building something that would last beyond eternity. I mean, beyond this earth and would last for eternity, right? And, uh, and that's what, why the church is so important. And, and I want to say something about your church because... Um, I, I'm on the board of an organization called ARC, which A-R-C, not ARC like Noah's Ark, but A-R-C, which stands for Association of Related Churches, where we plant churches all across America. You guys are a part of that as well. What church plant number were you? 200 and something, okay. But this weekend, the ARC has planted over 800 churches in the last 17, almost 18 years now. I was church plant number five, and now I'm on the board, and I help lead this organization. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that for two reasons. First of all, you need to know something that you are a part of that. Uh, last weekend, we planted 21 churches all on the same weekend. And uh, that, that happens because of your generosity. Velocity, you don't give to this church. You give through this church. 
And so when you give, I know this church takes the very first 10% that is given and they give it to things that have nothing to do with this church to the mission of the capital C church all around the world, okay? And a part of that money goes to planting all these churches. So what that simply means is that these people that are in these 800 and something churches that are meeting all across America, the people that get saved in California and New York and Florida and everywhere in between, those people that get saved in those churches and lives get healed and uh, prayers get answered like you were just celebrating just a little bit ago, you actually get to share in the inheritance, I mean the eternal reward in that. Because when you give here, that money is going to those churches and those people's lives are being changed and they're getting saved. And when you get to heaven one day, there's gonna be lines of people waiting to celebrate you being there and they're gonna say thank you. And you're gonna go, well, what did I do? It's because of your giving and your generosity through this church, you're impacting people and literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people their lives are being changed, and it is because, so you're a part of something much bigger. So can you give God some praise for what you're a part of? Come on, Velocity, that is so important. See, God didn't bring you here just to go, wow, I'm a part of a great church, and I love it, but he, he, you're a part of something even much, if you could zoom out, you'd see you're a part of something even bigger than that. Now, the reason why God is blessing this church the way that it is I think, according to John Maxwell, who, if you don't know who he is, he's the leadership guru around the world, okay? He says that everything rises and everything falls because of leadership, meaning if something is progressing and moving forward in business, family, church, it's because there's great leadership. If it crumbles or it goes the other way, it's because there's bad leadership. Now, Velocity is taking new ground and doing incredible things, and it has everything to do with your leaders. Your pastors, Justin and Marissa, I get to see all these 800 churches that we plan. I'm a part of coaching and investing in them. So I know church, okay? And, and this church is very blessed that not every church in America has leaders like this. So would you honor your pastors here today? Would you give it up for Justin and Marissa? Yeah. And his story that he told, uh, God, I could actually, you know, I could preach a whole sermon about this, this whole idea of honor. We were sitting in line at Starbucks or standing in line at Starbucks. I didn't, know you were, I didn't know who Justin was, but he's standing there and he turns to me and he says, can I buy your coffee? He honored me, he, he did something, he pursued me, and, uh, and as a result of that, now we have relationship and I bring him in along with other guys twice a year and I mentor them and invest in them and I just take whatever God has shown me, which as a Cajun, it's not a whole lot, but I take whatever I do have <laughs> And I give it away. And, uh, and, you know, there are a lot of people today who are, this is a very fatherless generation, right? There's a lot of father wounds. And a reason why a lot of times people do not have a father is because they're not a good son or a good daughter. And, and so if you will become a good son and a daughter, if you will pursue those that you see have value that you want to learn from them, like Justin and Marissa have done with Amy and I, as you pursue that, as you become a son and a daughter, then you will find fathers in your life that will invest in you. And so I honor you for what you have done. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of what God is doing here. So uh, I think it's pretty cool as well that uh, you guys are in a series, even though you're celebrating seven years, there's this endeavor, there's this striving, hey, that there is more. How many of you believe that wherever your life is today, that God even wants to do more, amen? And, and so, thank the Lord for all that he has already done, but God wants you to endeavor, to, to, to strive and to stretch to do even greater things. 
And so I want to talk to you about that. And uh, I have a, a, you know, I told you I have four kids. One of them recently turned 18 years old. So I asked him, I said, what would you like to do for your 18th birthday? And almost as if he had been thinking about it, he says, I want to go skydiving. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, you know, you're only 18. You don't have a whole lot to lose if you, you know, you don't make it. So, okay, <laughs> you may as well try it now. There's not a lot to lose, right? So, so I got, I got on, uh, I started searching, right, for reputable skydiving places, which if you think about it is very interesting because if you have a bad experience skydiving, how, how do you write a bad review? Okay, but anyway, people do write good reviews. Okay, and uh, so I found a place in Tampa very, uh, with a high reputation and a lot of good reviews. So we're on our way that day and I said, oh, son, you excited? And he goes, yeah, dad, I'm so glad we're doing this. And I said, no, we, we, there's no we. I was like, what do you want to do? I see, I see this gray hair, son. I'm smart enough to know better. I'm not doing it. And he pressures me. I give in to teenage peer pressure. And I made a decision that I'm going to go. So we show up and we go through a 15-minute orientation. So I am totally qualified. I know everything there is to know about skydiving. So we're going to tandem jump, which means they attach you to someone awkwardly close. And like this guy is like, you know, literally, we're, he's, his face is right here. It's like, you need a Tic Tac, okay, man? I mean, if we're going to do this, we got to at least have some good breath, all right? So we get on this plane, and we go up to 14,000 feet. Okay, that's high. That, like the clouds, and then there's a whole lot more space you still have to go to. 14,000 feet. So we get at the edge of the plane, and it's time to go, and I am scared to death, right? And we're going to jump on three. One. Two, we jumped on two. Do you know how bad that is? Because my life is in the hands of somebody who can't even count to three. So I, I expected this feeling that it would just be awful, but as soon as we jumped, it was the most exhilarating and pleasurable thing. It was so much fun uh, because it doesn't feel like you're falling. You are rapidly approaching death at 120 miles per hour. But because of proximity, you can't tell that. Perspective is everything, by the way, right? Feels like you're flying. He'd twist his hands and we'd spin and flip. And I'm like, woo! And then I would have these moments of, oh my gosh, we could die. This could go bad quickly. And then I thought, well, you may as well enjoy the last few moments of my life. Woo! And if you're wondering, the parachute did open. Yeah, okay. And so... I had a great experience. We landed and I was like, let's go do this again. I really, I would, I'd go do it again. And it had everything to do with this, was who I was connected with. You see, the guy that I made the jump with, he had made over 1,500 jumps and never once even used his backup parachute, which I did ask, okay? <laughs> never even had used his backup chute. This guy knew what he was doing. And so my connection and my encounter with him gave me the ability to have courage that I never had before. Okay, I think God wants you to have an endeavor of courage. He wants you to stretch and to believe him for greater things. Yes, he's an immeasurable, invincible God, but if you're not connected with him, you'll never have the courage to go do what God is calling you to do. So let's celebrate what he has done and, and thank God for Velocity Church, but what does he still have to do in this church, which by the way, you are the church. The church is not a building, it's not a location, it's not a pastor or a group of people, it's you. So how can God stir courage in you
to live in all that he has for you. Okay, we're gonna be studying, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you know, or your digital Bible, okay, you can open up to Acts chapter four. Okay, I wanna study a passage of scripture today, and if you don't have it, that's okay, it'll be on the screen. Uh, I wanna study a passage of scripture about the New Testament church. Now, the, so just for the sake that everybody is on the same page, okay, so Jesus comes to this earth, and he lives a perfectly sinless life. And he did that because that's something that you and I are totally incapable of doing, right? And then he takes all of our sin, every sin of this world that, that was committed and is committed and ever will be committed, and he instead dies in our place because there is a penalty for sin, and that is death. But Jesus decides, I'm going to pay it even though he didn't deserve it because he lived a perfect life. And he hung on the cross and he died with all of our sin. And then he goes into the grave, and then three days later, he comes back to life again. And then he goes to his disciples, and he says, listen, I'm alive, and you need to take this message to the world. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, now you're the church, and you go take my message until I come back. So that was the start of the New Testament church, which you and I are still a part of today, okay? And so this is kind of what we're going to study, is that exact story, or about 50 days after the death in the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so look at this verse with me. Here we are in Acts chapter four. It says that when they, so let me explain to you who they are. They, in this passage, are the people that had just murdered Jesus some 50 days before, right? They were angry at Jesus. They were actually terrorists, really. I mean, they killed Jesus because of his religious beliefs, right? When they, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, these are the, the two of the disciples, right? They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, here's what's interesting. These guys had courage. Everybody say courage. courage. They had enormous amounts of courage, but they noticed something. The reason why they had that courage is because they had been with Jesus. Remember, your courage is going to be dependent upon who you're connected with. So you're going to have to figure out a way, and I'm going to teach you how to have this connection and this encounter with Jesus so that you can be a person of great courage. Now, let me, let me give you some great hope for this message today because it says that God takes ordinary, unschooled people and he can turn them into courageous people. Would you, would you write in your notes or wherever you're keeping notes at, notice in this verse it says they were ordinary people, that word ordinary. Do you know that is the Greek word? So the original New Testament language is Greek, all right? So I, I like to go look at those words in the Greek and see what they are. Do you know what the English word ordinary, do you know what it is in the Greek? It's the Greek word idiotes. <laughs> do you know what English word we get from that, right? Idiot, okay? So that means God can take idiots. How many of you feel qualified now, all right? Okay, how many of you are sitting next to somebody who's idiotes? Come on, you can raise your hand for them, all right. God takes, you're apologizing, I love it, okay, sorry, that's you, okay, so God takes ordinary idiots and can do courageous things with them, so I want to teach you how God can take all of us velocity and can have us to do incredible things, all right, so would you write this down, how, how does this work, let me give you a few points out of these, these verses here, first thing, if we're going to have an endeavor for courage, if we're going to stretch if we're gonna increase in our courage, then we must have, write this down, a recognizable relationship with Christ. 
Now, I wanna teach you what this means about having this recognizable relationship with Christ. Real quick, go back to Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. Here's the next words I want you to notice in your passage. They took note. All right, if you're, if you're taking notes or you have your Bible, would you circle those words, they took note? It actually means to recognize. So here's what was happening, okay? The guys who had just murdered Jesus, they're looking at Peter and John and they go, hey, I recognize something about them that looks a lot like Jesus. Isn't that the essence of Christianity? Christianity doesn't mean I go to a church, I check that off the list, I attended Velocity on Sunday morning, and then you go live your life. It means that when you're out there living your life, the people look at you and they go, wow, there's something about them that's different. We're supposed to stand out, Velocity. You're not supposed to look like the world. You're not supposed to act like the world. You're supposed to be different. God called you and he set you apart to be different. But you have to have this recognizable relationship with Christ. But if we were honest, we mess it up sometimes. And look, you think that up here we're the professional Christian. You pay us to be good. But we're not that good. We mess up too. All right, well, maybe not your pastor, but I know I do. I mess it up a lot. I'm from Louisiana. You expect it from me, okay? I was running late for church. We have service on Saturdays. So I was running late for church the other day. I was at this event, and it was taking a long time, and I hadn't eaten lunch, and I had to go preach, and I was hungry, and I was passing by the Christian chicken place, Chick-fil-A, of course, which will be open in heaven on Sundays. Just saying, praise the Lord. Chicken minis every day of the week, whenever you want them. Okay, so I'm passing by there, and when you're hungry and you haven't eaten all day and you're passing by Chick-fil-A, it's nearly impossible to stop. I mean, to not stop, right? So I did, but, and I pull into the parking lot, but like always, the drive through is like wrapped all the way around the building, right? But I've already set my heart on Chick-fil-A. So I have to, I'm like, I'm running late, but man, I'm there, right? My heart's already in it. So I get in line and I'm slowly moving closer and I'm almost to like the window, you know, where you order and this car comes in off the road and pulls in, is gonna try to cut in line in front of me. Oh no. It ain't happening. He pulls up, I pull up, he pulls up. You ever had a conversation in your car with someone using your car without using words? That's what's happening right there. And, you know, he's in this convertible. He's got the top down, you know, and he's got a buddy with him. And they're talking, can you believe this guy? And I'm in, a, I'm in my car all by myself. And I'm like, what, what, man? I don't have anybody to talk to without talking to myself, right? So... He, he's pretty upset, and then you can, you can tell the way he's smarting off that seems like something's about to happen in Chick-fil-A parking lot. He reaches in the back seat of his car, and I think he's going for a piece. I'm like, oh. Look, I'm from Louisiana, Louisiana Mafia. I will bury you in a bayou somewhere. They will never find you, Jack, okay? You don't even know who you messing with, right? He reaches in the back seat of his car, and I think, oh, he's going for it. It's going down in the Chick-fil-A parking lot. And he reaches in the back seat and he pulls out a prosthetic leg. And he goes, hey, buddy, I'm trying to get in a handicap spot. Do you mind? Ooh. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but I'm full of pride. Okay, so I hate to admit when I'm wrong. Anybody else in here like that? See, you won't even lift your hand now. Okay, I, I know who you are. So I have to justify my actions. I roll down my window. It's like, buddy, how am I supposed to know? Where's your handicap decal, 
right? I mean, I have to justify my actions. He says, it's a rental. Okay, well, I'm stuck now. So then I hop out of my car and I turn and look at everybody behind me and I start getting on to them, right? Like, what can't you guys see the handicapped guys trying to get in here? What's the matter with you people? My wife is three cars behind me and she's like, oh, Randy, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, I made a fool out of myself. Can you guys say idiotase right here? Here's my question for you, and this is, you know, that is an absolute true story. It's not just a preacher story, okay? That really is true. Do you think that guy would want to have anything to do with Christianity? Anything going to church? Anything with that, by the way I was acting? Well, of course not. In fact, most people in America, if you tell them you're a Christian and they, they have pushback, why is it? It's because they had an encounter with someone who said they were a Christian, but they didn't look a whole lot Jesus in their encounter with him. And they're like, if that's Christians, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Here's my question for you. Would the people outside of Velocity Church, when they look at you, would they go, based on the way that you spend your money, the jokes that you laugh at, the jokes that you tell, where you spend your money and your time and the people you hang out with, would they look at you and go, there's something about them that reminds me of Jesus. Okay, well, if you're gonna be a person of great courage, look, we, we want God to do more things in our life, but if he's gonna do more in your life, then it starts with you having a recognizable relationship with him. So the good news is God never leaves us hanging. Look at the next part of the verse. It says, they took note that they, here's the, here's the, next, the, the answer to this, they had been with, would you circle that in your scriptures or write that in your notes, had been with. Those three English words are the Greek word, S-Y-N. It's where we get the word sync from. Think about it. You sync your phone, you sync your tablet, you sync your computer, you make sure that it has the latest operating system, and you do all of that so that it functions optimally, correct? If you and I are gonna have that recognizable relationship with Christ, then we have to sync ourselves up with Jesus, it's not a casual thing. It's not like, well, I'll just try this thing out. And, you know, kinda. No, you have to sync yourself up with God. That word really means to become one. Almost as when you're making your coffee in the morning and you put cream in it and you stir it, what happens to those two elements? They actually become one. You couldn't separate them again. See, you have to get to the place where you sync your life up in its entirety with God. Now, here's the problem. We love to come and listen to the scriptures or listen to preaching and we circle our Bibles and we make notes and those kind of things. That that's not the mark of a Christian. Are you marking your Bible? But is your Bible marking you? Is it making you different? Are you getting up from this place and applying those things in your life and now people look at you and they go, hey, there's something about you. You should be able to preach the gospel without even using words. I forget who said that, but at Randy Bezet on Twitter said... You, you got what I'm saying. You must have a recognizable relationship with Christ. So that means you got to sync yourself all up with him. And so that's the first part. The second part is, we're going to go back to this passage again. And I want to give you the next thought, okay? It says this. Uh, I want the, the point is surrender to the Holy Spirit. you got to have a recognizable relationship with Christ. Then you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's, here's the story that we're studying. Peter and John are on their way to church, to the temple, to pray. There's a blind guy and a crippled guy. He says, hey, give me some money. And um, he, he's, he's crippled. He's not blind. They, and he yells out, hey, would you guys give me some money? And they say, well, we don't have money, but we'll give you what we do have. In the name of Jesus, rise and be healed. And this young boy, this man, is completely healed. He's running around town. He's running in the church and the temple and all over the place. And he's celebrating, Jesus did this to me. 
Well, the people that killed Jesus, right, the leaders of the nation of Israel, you had to know they were furious, right? Because I thought we got rid of this man, and here's an uprising. So that's why they called Peter and John in, is to go, what in the world are you guys doing, okay? So that's the scenario of what had happened. Now look at this next passage. And then Peter, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our key phrase in this part. He says to them, hey, look, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to an account today for an act of kindness that is shown to a cripple, then we're asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. That's how this man stands before you healed. Now, this, this really intrigues me because this is Peter. All right, you, 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 surely you know enough about Peter, right? This is the guy that just 50 days before was, was very much a coward, right? He denied Jesus, we know, three times. You know that he also even denied Jesus in front of kids, right? If you can't stand up in front of kids, you know, then, then you must be a, a coward, right? He was a weak person. Now, 50 days later, Peter is standing before the same people that murdered Jesus, and he's kind of got his head up and his shoulders back, and he's like, wait a minute, you killed Jesus, but he's alive again, and that's how this dude is, is healed. Well, what's the difference? What gives between Peter 50, day ago, 50 days ago and Peter now? You would circle that phrase, or you took note of that earlier, and it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that word or that phrase mean? It means to be equipped. It means to be furnished. It means to be empowered. In other words, Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit 50 days ago like he does now, which is why he was so weak. Now he's able to stand boldly and go, I declare it's because of Jesus. Look, there's too many Christians in this world, perhaps you even sitting here in this service, you try harder and harder and harder and you keep failing more and more and more and you're wondering how. Let me give you the dichotomy to serving Jesus Christ. It is not about trying harder. It is about surrendering more. Oh, that will set you free. You think, well, if I just try harder, if I just grit my teeth and I just say I'm going to be nicer, then I'm going to be nicer. Come on, you ever tried that before? You ever said you were not going to do something and then you did it again? Of course, because you're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You're trying it on your own. And, and you can't do it on your own. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have sent the Holy Spirit to be an empower, to equip you and to furnish you to do that. Look, I, I, I was an addict before I gave my life to Christ. In fact, there was a time when I overdosed and I was taken to the hospital and there was no life in my body. And my, my family and the, the church that I grew up in that I had completely turned my back on, they all started praying for me. And my name is now on the board of answered prayers because not only did God save my life and he gave me life again, but then they said he's gonna have brain damage and I don't, which some people may argue that I do. And then they said he's gonna have liver damage and I don't. I have no effects from that day. And it is because God healed me in Jesus' name, yeah. So by the way, don't think that these prayer cards and these, these prayer meetings and these things that the church does is just kind of a, a feel-good thing. No, there's power in that. I'm a living testimony. I'm alive today because of that. Now, you have to understand something. Even though I overdosed on drugs, do you know that I did not surrender my life to Christ for a few years after that? I told you idiotes, okay? You think that'd be a great opportunity. Hey, God saved your life. Why don't you serve him now? 
But no, I wasn't ready. I went to drug treatments and rehab centers and I'm all for 12-step programs and all of that. But those did not save me and did not help me overcome my addiction. It was on January 30th of 1992 that I made a decision to sync my life up with God. I bowed my knee and surrendered to the cross and to Jesus Christ. And I asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life and fill me and, and give me the equipment and to furnish me to overcome my sin and temptations. And since January 30th of 1992, when I gave my life in its entirety to Christ, I have not had one more drink or cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or anything else. I have been totally clean and set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. And it's for one reason only, because I surrendered and I let the Holy Spirit empower me and equip me and furnish me. So listen, this being a courageous person and God doing incredible things in your life, don't try harder, surrender more. Okay, our last thought here. And it is this, that, and, and it's once you do those things, once you sync your life up with God, once you surrender to the Holy Spirit, then you can be obedient to God. How are you gonna go live the life that God wants you to live? You, you first have to sink, and you secondly have to surrender, and then you, have to, then you can be obedient to God. Back in Acts 4. So they called them in again, and they commanded them to not speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Everybody say the word obey. Obey, it doesn't mean to hear, it means to hear and to respond. How many times have we heard something from God and we get up and we reason it away? Oh, well, you know, I'll get to that later. I'm too busy right now. I'll start serving or I'll get water baptized or I'll start honoring God and tithing and giving him the first of my finances when these things change. So we hear, but then we don't obey. We're not responding. So we wonder why God is not necessarily operating in our life the way that we want him to. Could it be? that the thing we're waiting for God to do is not contingent upon God, but is contingent upon us and what he's already asked us to do. So it's being obedient to what he's already asked you to do. By the way, here's the best part about it. Okay, catch this. Especially if it doesn't make sense. Because if you have it all figured out, then that doesn't require faith. And faith is the only way really to please God. So, well, I'm too busy and it doesn't make sense. And, well, I'm not going to forgive that person because the way they're acting. Well, no, you forgive them anyway. You start serving anyway. You start giving anyway. You start surrendering that to God anyway, even when it doesn't make sense because that's what faith is all about. And that's how you please the Lord and you see him infuse you with courage to do all that he's called you to do. Okay, so last thought here. When my brother and I were growing up, there's two of us. We were growing up. My dad had these nightmares and he kept... Uh, having this reoccurring nightmare over and over and over again. And the nightmare was that my brother and I ran into the room. We were young kids, and our arms were cut off, and we were bleeding everywhere. And he would wake up, you know, obviously in a complete panic. And he kept having these over and over and over again. He was traveling with his job. He was in Atlanta, Georgia, in fact, staying in a hotel room, and it happened again. He woke up in the middle of the night, heart pounding, sweating, nervous, concerned about Rick and I. And he drops to his knees in his hotel room and he says, I will not get up from this, God, until you deliver me. And then God, in essence, kind of had this moment with him and said, hey, Richard, don't worry about your boys. I got a plan for them. They're going to be okay. Dad doesn't know if he was on the floor for 10 minutes or 10 hours, but he knew he wasn't getting up until God delivered him of that. And God did. And dad never had another nightmare about us again. My brother's a pastor in Arkansas. I pastor in Florida. God was faithful 
to the promise that he gave my dad. Now, you know my story. You know the things that I went through. Did dad have opportunities for concern? Of course he did. But he held on to that promise, and he said, God, I trust you anyway. Here's the verse in 1 John. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Do you want to overcome your world or your fears or your difficulties? It's through your faith and trusting God no matter what.